Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that we can do a better job creating products that our customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Product Mastery Now community. That's right. We have a new community for listeners of this podcast. We launched it a few months ago to our founding members. And members are product managers, leaders, and innovators who are creating value for the customers, and they want to learn with others who share the same commitment. They already have product experience, and they want to go even deeper. As a member of the community, you can participate in the live video interviews with guests, not just the audio, asking the questions that I may have missed that you really want to ask. Also, you get the interviews at the time they are made, months before listeners that are not part of the community. And there's much more. We have regular expert sessions, Q&As, discussion forums, and training. Find out more about the community and apply to be a member at productmasterynow.com community. Today, we are talking about the interdependence of product and marketing, as well as how marketing trends have changed in the last few years. To help us, we have Ali Planchak with us. She is the COO of Cross Media since 2006 at Cross Media. She has helped clients navigate the changing market landscape. As the company's first female partner, she proudly leads the agency to deliver on its mission of trust, reason, and happiness every day. Her responsibilities include building and evolving Cross Media services in ways that reflect their commitment to do the right things for our people and their clients. As a reminder, everyone, if you want a written, detailed summary of everything we discuss, including a one-page action guide that kind of has the key takeaways for you of anything that Ali shares with us, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 430. And by the way, one reason why we create the action guide for you is to use it among your teams. If you're leading a team and you want to discuss the topics that we are taking on today, the action guide is developed to help facilitate that sort of discussion. Okay, let's get into the topics. Ali, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chad. I just have to say, we met actually through a class experience, through a strategic innovation course that I helped co-facilitate for Boston University. And we put students randomly into teams at the beginning of these very short terms. This was all of six weeks together. And you emerged immediately as a leader of the team and brought great experience with that. And I think this is actually the first time I have ever asked a student that I worked with in that capacity to be part of the podcast after eight years here. I come across great students, but you really stood out in how you led that team and what you all accomplished together too. I don't know a lot about deep things about marketing, but I would come work for you in a heartbeat because you're such a great leader and you have such great knowledge about what you're doing. So I'm really excited you get to be with us today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I had a fantastic time in that course. And I think maybe we'll talk about some innovation specific quotes, but I think you gave me some really great advice, which was interesting to me as a leader. You had said to me, maybe try to speak last when you're in a room sometimes. And I've really Mm -hmm. tried to implement that in my day to day, because I think, especially as a leader in whether it's a grad school team project, or if it's just day to day, making sure that you're giving space for others to come up with their ideas and bring that to the forefront is so valuable. And, you know, making sure that it's a leader's presence is not intimidating anybody. Not that I think I'm intimidating, but that, you know, that as a leader, you can help let others provide their thoughts first. So it was a really valuable piece of advice. So thank you for that. I'm glad there was something that I did that helped. So you are a COO at this marketing organization. Great accomplishment. But first, I kind of just want to back up. What drew you to marketing in the first place? Yeah, yeah. So when I was a freshman in college, I read Truth, Lies, and Advertising, which is by John Steele. 
And the book explores uh, what is called account planning in the advertising world. And really, that's the intersection of psychology and advertising. And we read this case study about Got Milk, which you may remember that campaign, but there's a lot of different scenarios where people are eating something, whether it's a peanut butter cup or a chocolate chip cookie, and they realize they're out of milk. And it struck me at that moment, not only was I really desperately craving then a chocolate chip cookie and a glass of milk, but how powerful the right insights about a consumer can be when executed effectively. So that was the first thing that led me into marketing and then more specifically into advertising. And ultimately, I landed at my company, which when I started was small, six people, and now we're a little over 300, which is specifically media planning and buying. Yeah, and what a great opportunity to just be part of the growth of that organization from such a small group to where it is now and helping those one of the senior leaders there. The Got Milk campaign was amazing. I remember reading a little bit of analysis about this. I forget what the actual, the dairy association is called that, that does marketing for the dairy group, right? The dairy industry. They had spent so much money on the benefits of milk and telling you why you need to drink milk. And then they just came out with this simple... Got Milk yep. campaign that did so much better than everything else. It just reminded us, oh, yeah, milk, I should be drinking some. And I think it was so interesting finding that right balance of science and art of saying what's going to actually propel somebody to go out and buy this now. Again, they did a fantastic job of <laughs> making you think of all those scenarios where you never want to find yourself without milk. Okay. And to get us grounded, marketing, it means different things to different people. Can you give us a definition for marketing or the purpose of marketing? Yeah. So I think at its highest level, marketing, when done well, really delivers on a need that a consumer didn't realize that they had. And taking what that means a little bit more functionally, especially in my world and day-to-day, it's really about using data to uncover what is that insight? What is the best place, time, way to speak to a consumer on behalf of a brand? What really matters to them? And then delivering that in an effective way and then measuring the success of that against those brand goals, whether that's asking somebody to sign up to be part of a community, whether that's asking somebody to think differently about how they might have thought of a brand before, or ultimately to buy something. And I want to ask about the trends that you've seen in marketing. What has changed over time? I suspect one thing is indeed that data. There's more data available now than there used to be, right? This old adage that you go to the marketing chief marketing officer in an organization and they'll say, we know half of our money is is doing something beneficial for us. <laughs> we just don't know which half to spend it on. It's half the things must be helping with the other half we're not sure about. Yeah. I don't know how much that has changed over time. Yeah. But what have you seen? What are some of the big shifts that have occurred? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. That's definitely one of the big components of what has changed over time is data, that access to data and how we utilize it. And to your point, if you walked into my agency, I would tell you, we could certainly tell you (laughs) which portion of your advertising is driving success, which is not. And then also certainly in 2023, I would hope that we're wasting a lot less than half <laughs> half the dollars in waste. But yeah, I think the two big shifts that have occurred in marketing in particular are on the technical side, as you mentioned, from data, digital media, and advanced analytics to measure effectiveness. That's really skyrocketed. I've been in my career for about 17 years. So 
a decent amount of time, but not in the grand scheme of things. We're not talking about 30 years. And it's interesting because when I started in the industry, I think it was right at the point where digital media started to cross the chasm. So we talk a lot about that in innovation as being that moment, right, where you go from those early adopters to really those broader masses and everything from smartphones to social media being much more ubiquitous allowed there to be a lot more data out there. It created a lot more complexity to the supply and demand of digital advertising inventory, the way that people access it, and then the pricing mechanisms and how you can take that exposure and track it all the way through to whatever that brand's ultimate success measure is. So that, that to your point, is really interesting when you talk to a CMO now Now, it's not only about the brand and the values and who you want to reach, but really that technical acumen to make sure that continuously day in and day out, we're delivering both on what is, what does media mean now? Because it is so technical and being able to dive in and uncover that is a huge part of the job. Yeah. So there's a lot more data to collect I also understand there there's data services that collect data on us, right? And our preferences and our buying behavior. Yep. All kinds of information out there. And so if I had a business where I had a list of customers, I could pay one of these companies to take the data I have and correlate it with all their data and give me a lot more insights about those customers. Yeah. This seems like a really big shift that has happened that in the past, maybe you build up some data about your customers, but now there's places I can go to really amplify that many times over. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that data enrichment, as you're mentioning, as a key component. Something that has happened over the past handful of years is there was, again, when digital in particular crossed that chasm, there was all of a sudden all this data on people. And you could go to many companies, but there then there started to be questions about how is this data being sourced How recent is this data? What is the quality? So there's been a big shift in the past couple of years to really maintaining one source, a centralized source of your data and where that's coming from and knowing with a lot more clarity how that, again, how that data was procured and how you're able to apply it or not to audiences. And I think one of the most interesting things that's happening this year, there's a ton of new legislation that has just come out which is going to continually impact the type of data that exists that consumers willingly want to give to a website, to a brand, and then also what they don't want to share. And that's sparking actually a lot of interesting innovation, both in the way that we target advertising and also the way that we measure effectiveness. Okay. Well, two big shifts, technical and everything driving that. And there's another one. There is another one. So I think this is something in particular in the past couple of years with the pandemic and a lot of different social and political unrest. I think we're really starting to see and consumers recognize the societal impact that media for positive or negative can have on consumers. So whether you think about, you know, social media's effect on teens or accurate information or misinformation, how do you think about using media for good. And so that's a conversation too that we're frequently having with our clients on where are the places and spaces and ways that they can use media to deliver 
things and actions in the world? And how do we stay away from some of the places and spaces that might be impacting people in more of a negative context? So it sounds like a more responsible approach, perhaps taking place in marketing. Yeah. We talk a lot at my agency about media responsibility. And so again, I think that that's a really interesting place because you often run the line between when you're targeting, you want to make sure you're reaching the right consumer and not putting your own bias of what do I think, feel, and believe on what is ultimately perhaps the right place to be in for this target audience. I might look a lot different from a consumer audience that we're targeting for a fast food restaurant and very different from a consumer audience we're targeting for high wealth financial products. But at the same time, we're finding an appropriate line to say we need to all take responsibility for creating and funding platforms that are either doing good in the world or maybe could be harmful to certain groups. And how do we help be more of a positive force? Hopefully more media companies will be, more marketing companies will be sharing similar attitudes as well. Okay, so big shifts there. Uh, Another one that probably is so commonplace now that we just don't think about it much, but I don't know when this started, 10, 15 years ago, just the shift from what we now call outbound marketing, right? It was all about advertising, Mm -hmm. getting the message and and mail mail to your doorstep or some flyer or billboard or advertisement on TV or radio or something to the inbound marketing, which is largely around social media, maybe some email campaigns too, responding to people coming, looking for information instead of you just being the provider as the organization of the information. Anything around that you've seen too? Yeah, absolutely. And it does come back in some ways to why there's so much more data out there is because I think most consumers' expectations to engage with a brand is that you're going to provide them something of value. It could be as functional as, hey, if I come to your website and sign up for your email, you're going to give me 20% off my first purchase. Or it could be something like, oh, cool, you gave me a branded filter that I can apply on a social media platform and change my face to look like a cat, whatever it is. So what's interesting about that, though, is most of those interactions that you have, again, allow a marketer to say, oh, you're a hand raiser in some way, shape, or form for my brand. And I want to go find more people that raise their hands like you. And so what are those attributes about a group of hand raisers that are common? And how do I use that to fuel everything from what I might say in advertising all the way through to potentially product development? Okay. The foundation of all effective marketing seems to be that segment you start with, right? What is that target segment and what do they have in common? And from a product perspective, we usually think of that in terms of what problem do they have in common that we're trying to solve for them? Absolutely. Let's talk about trends for just a little bit more about what might be coming in the future, not just what has been happening. You already mentioned one, which is changes in legislation to give us maybe more control as consumers over how data is used. What else are you seeing that you're watching right now that is impacting marketing? Jumping off of those trends that we had just talked about, what is definitely changing, especially this year, is the way that we target advertising and the way that we measure effectiveness. And so what's, again, largely being driven from all of the components of the quality of data and the consumer control of data is really people and marketers looking at this and saying, all right, how do I, again, target in a way if now I can't perhaps 
use some of the data that I've gotten so accustomed to using over the past 10 years. So in some instances, it's creating maybe a renaissance of certain tactics and trends that used to be much more widely used before the rise of so much data. So things like contextual and taking a moment to say, hey, if I'm a grocery store, does it make sense for me to be around food content? Probably. (laughs) And a lot of data over the past 10 years led people to say, oh, even if I'm targeting the right person and maybe I can reach them when they're reading about, I don't know, sports scores. Yeah, of course you can. But where is the effectiveness? So again, contextual in, in terms of advertising as a targeting mechanism is having a bit of a renaissance. And then, like I said, measurement in particular, driving new integrations and taking measurement methodologies that might have been tried and true many years ago, but combining that with new technologies and the automation that is much more readily available and the visualization is certainly something that is emerging significantly this year, largely in, in due to everything that we just spoke about. Can you give us an example of, of measurements that are newer now or that you see coming? Yes, we've talked for many years, again, especially in digital advertising. At the early onset, it was all about, you know, click-through rate and cost per click. And then everybody realized that there can be a lot of fraud in the advertising landscape. And if only 0.01% of all those that are exposed click on your ad, what is what does that mean as a measure that we're looking at? And so then we've moved and the industry has become a lot more sophisticated, as I mentioned, around really measuring to that ultimate business success. Did this did, you know, an advertisement here or a series of advertisements drive an ultimate business transaction for for a brand? And so that's been built out a lot in the past the past 10 years, but a good portion of those technologies were heavily reliant on cookies, which is something in the marketing and the digital landscape that you talk about as really just ways of tracking people throughout the the internet. Cookies are going away. So that threw a lot in into flux. And then, you know, how marketers associate, again, if you saw an ad today for a grocery store online and you ultimately went into the store and made a purchase, how how would you associate those together as that grocery store to say that this was successful? So a lot of what you're seeing is, again, the continual rise of what's called first-party data. So maybe you went into the grocery store and you bought something and you put your phone number in or you used a loyalty card. That in certain capacities is a key that allows a lot of that marketing to be tracked back to the fact that you were exposed to an ad and ultimately ended up purchasing. So there's a lot of there's a lot of work being done there, but then also there's also work being done to combine measurement methodologies like that with what is more historical in terms of mixed modeling and things like that. So doing some blends of those are things that we're seeing are new methodologies that are coming to the forefront. I'd be glad to geek out on some specifics there about what data actually is available to associate yeah. being that ad and then going to the store. In spite of taking time for that, we'll do that. Now. The big point is there's lots more measurements becoming available to us, um, even though some of the data we've relied on, like all the stuff that's collected in cookies, and a lot of websites tend to make it easy for us to opt out of that now. So the measurements are still getting pretty pretty sophisticated and providing some good insights. And to let you know that the marketing that you're spending as an organization 
is actually having an impact that you wanted it to, that is meeting the objectives it was designed for. It is. It is an improvement. And again, back to the beginning when I said I would really hope if you walked into my agency or any agency worth their weight, at this point in time, they would definitely be able to tell you which part of your advertising is driving business success. And hopefully it's a lot less than 50% that is wasted. So yeah, that, that's coming to the forefront. I also think you're seeing some new interesting measurements emerging around consumer attention and quality and trying to understand, especially in a world where people are exposed to an incredible amount of ads a day, I think it's like upwards of 3,000 ads a day. How do you know <laughs> that what you're putting out there is worthy of a consumer's attention? Because a lot of advertising isn't. And again, I think that goes back to the heart of what marketing really should do is make be worthy enough to gain a consumer's attention and spark a need that they didn't know they had. Yeah, a, a big change that I've seen is even in the last year, the number of ads that are thrown in my face that don't have any purpose is so much lower, right? Mm -hmm. Before I used to see strange things like, why are you showing me this? This doesn't fit at all. <laughs> okay, so some good things emerging from a marketing perspective. I want to put this in the context to help us as product people kind of make some connections here. Just from a structural perspective, it used to be in many organizations where product, this whole product management discipline came from, was typically aligned under marketing. And so that was the marketing group that thought about what to do next and who to serve next and really where product management kind of came out of. And then we saw that kind of move over to the technical side in a lot of organizations where it was the engineering development function of the organization where product lived. And since then, we've seen it have its own seat at the C-suite, a chief product officer and a product group that is outside either one of those two, which arguably I think is the best place for it. But what have you seen when it comes to how product and marketing and when we think about innovation, creating a new product or making products better, how are those related? Yeah, from the side that I sit on, most of the time, my agency is obviously contacted once a brand feels like they have a product that is worth being out in the market. But I do think that there's been some interesting, as you mentioned, blurring of the lines of what insights you can derive from advertising and especially in social media, those communications and bringing that, pulling that back and into how that affects products. For example, your things doing an integration with Gap, for example, producing products that are related to it and also pulling that through into their advertising. I just, I was talking to somebody today. I didn't, I, I didn't see this at the time, but I think about a year ago, because it has such a cult following, Ikea saw and recognized people love their meatballs. So they said, huh, how could we bring this into our communications? And we talked about, is this advertising or not? They came up with the idea to market Ikea with the creation of a meatball scented candle and putting that out into the world. And so again, I think it is really interesting, the blurred lines of where does product begin and where does advertising go to, which maybe you used to say would be just a pretty linear flow to this more kind of two-way connectivity and how, again, what you're capturing in advertising, the engagement you're seeing, the consumer reactions can ultimately help fuel back that invention and evolution of different products. One of the problems I've seen is a lot of our organizations, unfortunately, are rather siloed. And I have come across examples where the marketing has really good consumer insights. Man, you guys are doing research on the consumers. You're out there doing surveys. You're doing interviews. You've done special pop-up stores, maybe even to try out a concept. 
And we're sitting over here in product, not knowing anything about it. It's frustrating to know that's happening. And the other, completely unrelated to that, the other challenge seems to be some of the times us in product are throwing things over the wall. So, okay, it's ready for launch. Mm -hmm. The launch team, which is usually marketing, figure out, go to marketing strategy, then gets engaged. Instead of being engaged all the way through, where they probably need to be testing out the go-to-market strategy, by the time we get ready for launch, we have those two things lined up with each other. You're welcome to tackle either one of those problems. I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of the things that drives me up a wall. Like I said, I started my organization when we were very small. We were six people. And not that we have services. We don't have necessarily products, I would say at this moment. but I had to know how to do everything. When you're small, you just right. do. And certainly right. as an organization and a company scales and grows, there is that need certainly to have specialization, to have practices and departments and things of that nature. And there's many reasons why that's important. But one of the biggest things that I think keeps me up at night about my organization and then drives me nutty <laughs> with clients sometimes is how do you continue to deliver scale, but really maintain the integration in those critical points? And how does that deliver? For example, there are countless times where, you know, you're ready to launch a campaign and you will say to the brand, all right, easy question. Where is this clicking through to? Once somebody, if somebody clicks on this ad, where do you want them to go? And there's many times where I'll have somebody on the other end say, huh, I'm not really sure. We'll have to get back to you on that. And so it's again to that breakage of that experience for a consumer. The end goal is obviously we need to make sure that this is seamless for a consumer. And when they see, you know, something really great in advertising here that's been targeted so specifically to them and makes all the sense in the world that they don't land somewhere in their next action that falls completely flat, whether that's a web page or the actual experience with the product. Yeah, which is spot on, right? Because if we're creating that marketing funnel, we're trying to just move the consumer forward on their buying journey and whatever that next obstacle might be, address that for them. And then whatever the next action is that the consumer wants to take, right? Not the one that we're trying to get them to take, but the one that makes sense for their buying journey. Right. And if we're at a step on that, that messes up the experience and the customer goes somewhere else. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. We've also had just seen many instances over time where we say, okay, for various retail clients, hey, this advertising was really great. It drove traffic into our stores, but oh shoot, when they arrived, we didn't have the product that they were looking for. And I think especially in the past couple of years too, this has been a really tricky go as different retailers have encountered supply chain issues. So that's mm -hmm. been obviously a challenge, but I think it has done some good to drive a little bit more integration of if prior to the pandemic, you really didn't have to worry terribly as a brand marketer about, hey, are we going to have all the jeans that were advertising in the store. No, you would have the jeans. With the supply chain issues that 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 started, that really did start to drive at least a little bit more conversation to say, what the heck are we going to have <laughs> 
in the store, are we going to have enough if people come in? So that's been something of more recent that maybe could prompt some positive change. Yeah, we got a line up distribution. And I, th- this was a long time ago. I remember someone got test marketing wrong. And I think it was a Hershey test market they got wrong because I was, this was like college days for me. So quite a while ago, listening to the radio and kept hearing <laughs> this ad over and over for this new candy that just, I like chocolate and peanut butter things. And it was some chocolate peanut butter thing. <clears throat> and I got to try this out. So I go to the store to find it. Like nothing. I, I try four stores that should have had this to and nothing. Mm. I finally called the radio station yeah. and I asked them and they said, oh, yeah, I don't know if that ever actually got out, out to stores. Just drop by the radio station. We have a couple of bags we can give you, which I did just to try it. And it was a it was a test market and the product actually never launched to any regions that I discovered. Oh but somewhere the ball got dropped right between they lined up the yes. advertising on radio spins but they did actually deal with the distribution of getting it available to the customer. So if they collected any yeah. data from that test market exercise, it obviously would have been flawed. Couldn't right. get our hands on the product. <laughs> so we want to make sure we're testing throughout what we're doing. And thinking about that consumer experience too, because sometimes a product you might have strong enough distribution across, say, the U.S. that you say, you know what? Financially, it just makes more sense to advertise on national channels, meaning that you're not segmenting and only advertising in in certain markets. But then you run into markets that don't have the product or really want the product or can't get the availability. And in some ways, it can spark consumer reaction. And sometimes if it's it can help you say, hey, wait a minute, we actually have some demand over here and we haven't thought about this and we need to address this potentially as a market. But it also can get people really angry sometimes when they just want that peanut butter <laughs> and That's chocolate right. bar. I need my peanut butter chocolate fix. That's all I care about. The ad obviously worked well, but right. that was a supply problem. Thank you for sharing your, some of your experience with us about marketing and what has changed and what is coming and the effectiveness of it and the interrelationship with product and how we maybe can work together better. As listeners know, we like an innovation quote around here, and I asked you to bring something to us. What is that, and what does it mean to you? Okay, so I have two, and as I was preparing for today, this was probably the question that made me most anxious. I asked a lot of my colleagues, and they're probably going to be disappointed that I didn't listen to any of their advice and go for anything more highbrow, but okay, here goes. So the first one is from Jay-Z. And I'm a big Jay-Z fan. And in one of his songs, he says, there's much bigger issues in the world I know, but first I have to take care of the world I know. And I love that when thinking about innovation because successful innovation is catalyzed from a problem. And there's if there's an issue that's important to you that needs to be fixed, there's chances that there's a group of other people out there that also have that problem. So I think it's it's a really nice, probably pretty basic way to think about this, but really grounding for me to say innovation isn't just that you wake up in the morning and you say, hey, today is the day I want to be innovative. It's about really finding what is that problem? Is there something that is meaningful that we need to fix? Absolutely. And that's where it starts, some meaningful problem to tackle. Yeah. And you have a second one for us. I have a second one too, which again, I find really motivating. Hopefully some of your listeners do as well. So the second's from one of my favorite spin instructors. I like to spin and cycle a lot. She's She said before, if nothing changes, nothing changes. 
And obviously when you're cycling on a bike that goes nowhere, you can take that (laughs) pretty literally. But for me, it's been interesting to remind myself of that in moments of uncomfortableness, saying, how do I expect to grow personally, professionally, if I don't change something? So I think it helps take something when you're trying something new, when you're testing something to really, it motivates me for the challenge instead of being just paralyzed by that uncomfortableness that often comes when you're trying new things and deciding how you can deliver a new innovation. Yeah. And as innovators, as product innovators, we make change. It's the part of what we do. And that involves change in us as well. And we need to be continually Mm -hmm. learning and thinking about our craft and changing as well. So thanks to your spin instructor for that. (laughs) And I just appreciate you being with us, Allie, today, sharing some marketing insights for us and letting us know a little bit more about what's going on in marketing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And listeners, as a reminder, you'll find the written notes of everything we discussed and that one page action guide at productmasterynow.com slash 430. Everyone keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.